Welcome to the Discipleship Helps Podcast. This podcast is designed to accompany you as you work through the book, Discipleship Helps. This book guides us through foundational doctrine every disciple should know. From time to time, you'll be able to pause and write your answers to the questions in the workbook. We encourage you to read each scripture and cover this journey in prayer. So without further ado, let's begin. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, welcome. You made it. This is week five of Discipleship Helps. Why don't we pray, and then we'll jump into the uh, homework from last week. Mighty God, we just thank you for this time together. How privileged we are, how blessed we are, how fortunate we are. Father, that you love us, that we're here, we're not dead, we're still alive. And so, Lord, we're going to bless your name. And we're going to sing your praises and we're going to tell the whole world of all the things that you've done and of the love that we've found in you, the freedom that you've given us, Father. So embolden every one of us right now, Lord, not to let what we've experienced or seen up until this point dictate what's possible in the future, but Lord, to allow you to show us your power and your love and your freedom, Lord, so that we can bring your glory to the ends of the earth. God, we just ask that right now we would all be of one heart and one mind tonight as we study. Uh, Lord, that none of these concepts would be foreign or far off, but we would see these are normal. This is the way that we should be living. So, Lord, expand our minds. Break open the box that we've put you in and that we formed around what we thought was Christianity. We just thank you for your mercy. And we just say, come and have your way tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's begin. Finding the Rock, Lesson 5, Life Development. This is a longer lesson, was it not? Key scripture, I am writing you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children, because you know the Father. I have written to you fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 2, 12 through 14. What levels of maturity do we find in these verses? Children, young men, and fathers. And little children. And, and little children. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Every detail matters. List as many characteristics as you can about each one. Which of these can take care of themselves? Which ones need others to take care of themselves? For children, what did you guys write? The Apostle Paul tells us that we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. It's Ephesians 4, 14 through 15. So in this lesson, we will look at this process by studying the example of the early church. Uh, let's see, Natalie, will you read that, Acts 2.42 right there? Um, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And to prayer. Miss Brenda, will you please read that next verse? And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. So let's put ourselves as a church, as a body, on the chopping block as we read through this. We should be seeing all of these things, without missing any of them, we should be seeing all these things inside this body. Any uh, group of people, I was going to say organization, any group of people that gathers together and calls themselves a church should be seeing all of these without fail. Would you guys agree? Yes. All right, so let's get started. What seven practices of the early church do we find here in Acts 2, 42 through 47? Let's read the first one together. Devoted to apostles' teaching. The second one, devoted to prayer. Oh, y'all got fellowship? Yeah. Why did I put that? Okay, number three. Yeah, it was right there. Number three, devoted to? Breaking bread. Number four, devoted to? Prayer. Number five? Number six? Praising God. Number seven? Seeing more people saved. So let's ask ourselves, in this church, are we devoted to the teaching? Are we devoted to prayer? Are we devoted to fellowship? Are we devoted to... Wait. Yeah, I said it again. Why did I do that? Do we break bread together? Do we have one mind? Do a few, few, few yeses less? Working on it. Okay. Do we praise God in here? Yes. Are we seeing people saved? Yes. I agree. So we're having one mind. We're working on that more and more. But we're all moving together. Listen, we talked about doing discipleship helps in here. I would say that this many people all moving forward together in one direction, I'd say that's a pretty good start for having one mind. Wouldn't you? We're all on board for wanting to be trained, for wanting to move closer to the Lord, for wanting to understand the scriptures, and wanting to live this life out better. Would you guys agree? Yes. I'd say that's pretty good for having one mind. Yeah. Amen? Amen? All right. The first one, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine. This is the first real statement made about how the early church prioritized the Christian life. Daily reading and teaching built strong foundations in believers' lives. The Bible does not just contain God's word, it is God's word. This means the very words and phrases of the Bible are inspired by God. Let's read 2 Peter 1, 20-21. Zach, would you read out verses 20-21 through 21 for us, please? 
this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. When he says all Scripture is inspired by God, what Scriptures were they looking at? Yeah, it's good to remember, isn't it? The word inspired means God breathed. The Lord breathed upon men by His Spirit and gave specific written revelation of Himself, causing what they wrote to be God's only authoritative absolute truth. Doctrine refers to teaching, instruction, or the subjects taught. This is the command in the Great Commission teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Jesus himself formed the focus of much of the apostles' doctrine, but the foundation is the Old Testament. Let's go to Psalm 19, 7 through 11. I would highlight this, circle it, put stars around it, do whatever you have to do, because anytime that someone talks about the Old Testament or tries to say, isn't that Old Testament... Or that's from the Old Testament. I want you to listen to the way that the man, after God's own heart, describes the Torah. Eduardo, would you read out verses 7 through 11, please? Yeah. I should have read this this morning, too. Amen. Come on, brother. Um, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, uh, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. There is great reward. <clears throat> Amen. If you didn't receive a world-class education but you invest yourself into this word, you will become wise. Amen. When you speak, what comes out of your mouth will be seen as wisdom by those around you. If you wonder whether or not your mind is sharp, if people have called you ignorant, if you've not done so well on your ACTs or SATs or your IQ tests, but you learn this word, you will be wise. You will stand out from among the people of this world. The decisions and judgments that you make will be sound, and people will come to you for counsel. Know this word, and it will make you wise. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Matthew 5. Mr. Michael Brown, would you mind reading verses 17 through 20, please? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you guys to listen to this. The new, covenant was, the new covenant was conceived not as a new phase or disclosure, but as abolition and replacement of the ancient one. This is what's happened now in the minds of Christians today. The new covenant was conceived not as a new phase or disclosure, but as abolition and replacement of the ancient one. Theological thinking fashioned its terms in a spirit of antithesis to Judaism, meaning that we went against Judaism now. Contrast and contradiction, rather than acknowledgement of roots, relatedness and indebtedness became the perspective. So instead of us acknowledging our roots and relating to Jews and becoming indebted to them, instead we contradict them and we contrast ourselves to them. Judaism is now seen as a religion of law, Christianity a religion of grace. Judaism teaches a God of wrath, Christianity a God of love. Judaism, a religion of slavish obedience. Christianity, the conviction of free men. Judaism is particularism. Christianity is universalism. Judaism seeks work righteousness. Christianity preaches faith righteousness. The teaching of the old covenant, a religion of fear. The gospel of, new, of the new covenant, a religion of love. I want to tell you, the way that we see where we came from Right? We look and we say, we've evolved past that. Those guys were all law, works-based, slaves to the law. We're now free, faith-based. I want to tell you, that is not what Paul is communicating to us in Romans 11. He is saying that we are branches that have been grafted in and the root supports us. And the root, inarguably, is the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was built on faith. It was not just because of a bloodline. It was because of faith. We know this because Ishmael was not included in that, and Ishmael was a child of Abraham. So that we know it was the children of faith, right? So we know that when we have faith, we are adopted into this family. Why is this beneficial? Because then the blessings that come from this and the instructions that come from this also apply to our lives. Make sense? Otherwise, more than half of the book that you carry around is meaningless. Let's go to the last one, Matthew 13, 52. Let's see, Luke, would you read loud and proud, Matthew 13, 52, please? Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a What is new and what is old. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Do you know that for many decades after Jesus, the majority of the church was strictly Jewish? Okay, just let that sink in. 
the early church that we're trying to be like, was made up entirely of Jews. Just a thought. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Where did he proclaim it? In the synagogue, Acts 9.20. I'm heavy on this because I've been reading four books about this stuff in the last two weeks. That's why you're getting a lot of it. Fellowship or life together. Christians basically live in two dimensions of fellowship. Number one, fellowship with God. Number two, fellowship with man. Listen to the following verses on the normal Christian life. This is John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Do we see the way that it is interconnected there? What love do we love each other with? God's love. How will people know that we belong to him? By our love. Do you see? You can't separate them. You can't say, I have love for God, but I don't get along with people. It doesn't work. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. 1 Peter 2, 22. 122, good. So we see here in this verse from 1 Peter, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. How do we have a sincere love of the brethren? Obedience to the truth. truth. Because it does what to us? Purifies our souls. Sometimes we're looking for like the latest thing, like give me something like I need some sort of extra special instruction or direction. If we'll simply obey... It will cause hardship and suffering and trial on us enough, and that sacrifice will produce in us a love for what we're sacrificing for, which is the kingdom of God. When we sacrifice for the kingdom of God by enduring through hardship to obey the commands of God, it purifies us and develops in us a love for other people who are doing the same. Do you see that? Have you ever met a brother or sister from somewhere else and you immediately have a love for them? Have you ever wondered, like, why do I love you so much already? It's because they're also sacrificing for the kingdom of God. It's a mutual sacrifice and therefore a mutual love. We, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Romans 12, 5. See also Ephesians 4, 25. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 25. Anybody know where the vision and mission of this church come from? Is it 11 through 13? 4.12. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We do go into 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're doing. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 4.25. Someone read that out loud and proud. Jesse, why don't you read that out for us? Uh, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and 
Sometimes when you're having a difficult conversation with other brothers or sisters, the reason it's so difficult is because you're figuring out a way to add a little bit of falsehood and not just speak truthfully. I want to squeeze in a little bit of ego petting or padding and not just speak truthfully. If you start living your life just speaking truthfully, like Natalie does, <laughs> just speak truthfully to those around you. It'll be really hard and uncomfortable at first. You get the hang of it, right? You'll learn to do it in love. New Testament fellowship is not just Sunday religion. It's an entire way of life. Francis Chan was the uh, pastor of a megachurch that he started. And the reason that he quit the church was because a gang member got radically saved. He was super pumped about it. He found out later that that gang member went back to being in the gang. And when he was able to find out why, the gang member said, I thought I was entering into a family. This was just a, a Sunday thing. And that caused a spiraling thought process that led him to try and start it all over. We don't want to get to a place down the road where we realize that what we've been building is a mistake. That's not honorable or admirable. We should do it the way that the Bible says from the beginning. Amen. And we should address inconsistencies and problems right now. Right? How would you describe the importance of fellowship? Let's read these verses and then I want to hear what y'all put. Uh, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10 first. Are we there? Elder Mark, would you read that for us, please? God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So remember that. Perfectly united. No divisions among you. Let's go to 1 John 1.3. 1 Michaela, would you read that out for us, please? Amen. So y'all tell me, how would you describe the importance of fellowship? Oh, by the way, I wrote, our fellowship with Christ is demonstrated through the body. Uh, it is of utmost importance, perfect unity in mind and thought. This has been passed down to us, the truth, for the purpose of fellowship. So the truth has been passed down to us for the purpose of fellowship. We unite around it, and we bring others into it. Knowing that you become like the people you hang around, do you see the priority God places on Christian fellowship? Hebrews 10.25, let's go there. Thank <laughs> you. 
Alyssa, would you read out Hebrews 10, 25, please? And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Amen. I want to bring your attention to that last part. Do you see the progression where he says, especially or all the more as the day is drawing near? What day is he talking about? The day of the Lord. He puts an emphasis on us doing it more and more and more and more as the day of the Lord is approaching. What do we see we're being pulled towards more and more? Being isolated. As the day is approaching, we're becoming more and more isolated. I want to tell you, just about every stern warning that we're given in Scripture to watch out for, to make sure that we do this, make sure we don't forget this, don't be ignorant about this. The devil is attacking just about every single one of those. And as as we read through Scripture, we wake up to these things and we say, whoa, that's not what's going on. Whoa, I don't see that around me. Whoa, that's not what's happening, right? We're meant to, the Scripture is meant to be a mirror and it's meant to be a light. The breaking of bread. Love this one. Of course, I'm now not doing gluten. It's like blue corn tortilla chips. I rejoice with you. Yes. I guess it would just be blue corn chips. All right. And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together. Acts 2, 46. True relationships take time to develop. Here we go. 15 minutes of... Hi, how are you? Before and after a church service is not Christian fellowship. So let me reiterate this. The majority of your relationships in this church, you're trying to squeeze in while others are trying to pray in here. You are headed down the wrong track. If you're trying to squeeze in the relationships in here during the time when people are praying or when it's like prayer and it's up on the big screen, and you're trying to get around to squeeze in these micro-relationships and talk to everybody during that time, it's not going to happen. You're still going to feel isolated. You're still going to feel alone. It's not going to satisfy that gap. So everyone in this room, we should get this down. We should have this down because this is what we're pursuing. We are pursuing discipleship. If you are in here, you are not casually observing what's going on. You realize that. No one in this room is casually observing or just wanting to see what it's about. If you're in here, you're not doing that. If you're in here, you have made a conscious decision to be intentional about the way that you live for Christ. That's why you're in here. If you say, uh, not me, then this is not the place for you. Because we're trying to move forward together And it's an ever-narrowing way. We don't casually observe from the outside, trying to see if it's worth it or maybe we shouldn't do this. People are kind of weird. That's done with. We've made our decision. We've counted the cost. We take up our cross and we follow the Lord. Amen? Amen. So breaking bread, taking their meals together, gives us the picture of people who had not only opened their hearts to God, but to each other as well. The home is a neutral, non-threatening environment, most of the time, that makes it much easier for unbelievers 
or nominal Christians to open up and respond to real Christian community. How many of you in here have been in other people's homes inside this church? Okay, cool. If you have not, fix that problem quickly. Get into each other's homes. Notice the following verses. And they were continually devoting themselves. And by the way, there's an open invitation. Come talk to us. If you're wondering, like, well, whose house? Come talk to us. We'll start here. Anybody else? Same attitude? Come to my house. Cool. Look around the room. Come and talk to anybody. And they were, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Acts 2.42. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Acts 2.46. Seth, would you read this next one? Acts 27 through 11, please. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on that next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we gathered. And a young man named Eutychus. Yes. So departed. Now, quick little side note. In the chapter right before this, they stoned Paul and left him for dead. Then he got right back up and went to preaching. So fresh on Paul's mind is resurrection, then go back to preaching, right? (laughs) So he raises Eutychus from the dead and goes right back to preaching. And they're breaking bed. Can you picture the setting where they all were? When they were learning, breaking bread, eating, passing it around. Paul's eating, right? They're all sitting and they're just exchanging. This should be how we fellowship with one another. It should be in our homes, in the comfort of our own homes. And we're not putting on some false front. We invite each other into our lives. We're not ashamed. We're not trying to hide anything. Our lives are open for people to see. If there are things that need to be corrected, then for the love of God, we invite correction. We're not afraid. We have nothing to hide. Now, if you're not there yet, step out in faith. The Lord will work these things out, and he'll do it in grace and in love. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. Acts 27, 35. Meals are reconciliation. Let's go to Psalm 23, 5. By the way, that was a strong cultural thing, too, that meals are reconciliation. Sharon, would you please read Psalm 23, 5? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. Who wrote that? David. David. Let's go to Revelation 3.20.
Amelia, will you pre- please read out uh, Revelation 3.20? Beautiful. So culturally, when they would eat together, what would happen is people would travel. I would bring the dishes. If I was going to someone's house, i bring the dishes, just the actual dishes. They prepare the meal. I would leave the dishes with them as a gift. I would go there. We would recline. Y'all seen those, the triclinium tables back in the children's area? It's the short tables that we have. Those were the tables that they would use. And they would eat like this. They'd be laying on the ground and eating from the table like this. They would sit around and a meal could last six hours. When they were done, they would push back from the table and they had pillows and they would fall asleep there and they would wake up the next morning and go back home. That was a typical way that they would eat. Okay? They didn't force it in right before they headed off to something else. It was something that was reconciliatory. Now, I'm not saying that we can't do that. We squeeze in time together whenever we can. But that was a meal for them. When we talk about reconciliation, it's because when you came to dinner at my house, it was a big deal, right? And I went to great lengths. When you would walk in the door, I would put a cup in your hand. I would pour wine into it until it overflowed to show that you had an abundance of every good thing while you were here at my house. I would put oil on your head, healing oil, anointing oil, Right? This is a symbol of the anointing and the presence and the authority that was in this home coming over you. Right? So it's, uh, while the meals are important because they provide a natural format, what most interests me is the New Testament use of the word together. New New Testament Christianity is life in common. Our basis for relating to one another is our relationship with God. Write out the main idea of the following scriptures. So let's read 1 John 1, 7. Javi, can you read that one for us, please? Amen. What's the main idea of that verse? Walk in the light. Fellowship with each other. And be cleansed or purified. Walk in the light of fellowship and be purified. When you hang out with people, godly people, it purifies you. Uh, Hebrews 10.24. Garrett, would you read that out for us, please? What's that word spur mean? Mm, I like encourage. That feels good and warm. A kick. What kind of kick? A kick. Wait, wait. What's this kick that you're talking? I mean, what's on this kick? Like, what's on the? Oh. We're spurring one another on to good deeds like this. Yeah. Spur one another on to good deeds. We prefer 
You know what? I, I really think you're already doing a great job. You don't really have to do anything other than what you're already doing. No. Spur one another on. Oh, yeah. Come on. Right? We're spurring one another on. That's what's being communicated. Yeah. Stir. That sounds better, too. Let's go with stir. Is that the message? Yeah. You're a better man than that, Garrett. I would never stop. Believing in Christ means fellowship on two levels. Fellowship with God and the resulting fellowship with others. All Christians are part of the same body of Christ. They are members of each other. They belong to each other. They have been given to one another. Is my life my own? No, no I lay it down for my brothers and my sisters. That's you guys. I lay it down for my friends. Right? Why? Because that's what Jesus modeled for us. Knowing this truth is not enough or even God's goal. He was true love, commitment, and fellowship. This can only take place through us getting involved in one another's lives. The early church did this daily through meals together. Beautiful. And what, how are we going to speak to one another when we're having meals together? Truthfully. And we're going to put off falsehood. We're going to speak truthfully to one another. We're not going to put on pretenses. You know when it becomes uncomfortable and tiresome and hard is when we're putting on a front and we don't speak truthfully. That's when relationships become really draining. When you're not speaking truthfully to one another. Because then you're not able to be yourself. But if you practice being yourself and also speaking truthfully to one another and also obeying, you'll be able to be free to be yourself. And then if there's something that needs to be corrected, it will be seen, put up against the standard of the word. We will be purified as we obey. And then we will spur one another on to good deeds. Do we see his plan? This is life development. Prayer. The Jerusalem church was not only devoted to the breaking of bread, but also to prayer. The word translated prayer in this text means words addressed to God or a place set apart for offering prayer. The use of the definite article and the plural noun, the prayers, implies specific times of prayer, especially corporate prayer. The shakarit, the morning, the mincha, afternoon, and the ma'ariv, evening. Let's go to Daniel 6, 10 through 11. Ms. Vera, would you please read out verses 10 through 11? Take your time. Finally, 
This man said, we will never find any basis for charge against this man, Jonah, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So, these administrators and satellites went as a group to the king and said, my king Darius live forever. The royal administrators prefects, satrapas, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Keep going, Miss Beer. It's beautiful. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so tired and I can't see. My glass not work. Now, now your majesty issued a decree and put in and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. In accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be re repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for reading that. I'm sorry. No, it was beautiful. No. Thank you. What we see is that Daniel was used to praying three times a day. The words that were used to describe those three prayers were shakarit, the mincha, and the ma'ariv. They prayed morning, noon, and evening. We see that Daniel, even though an edict was issued that could cost him his life, he wouldn't dare give up praying at his normal prayer times. Where do you stand with prayer? What does it take to stop you from praying? Prayer is part of development. Amen. I want to tell you, if you are somehow trying to get by each day without prayer being a part of your normal life, you are struggling in ways that God is not intending for you to. Let me say that again. If you are trying to get by without prayer being a normal and everyday part of your life, you are struggling in ways that God does not intend you to. He seems farther away from you than he should. You seem not to hear his voice or to see him moving as much as he actually is speaking or is moving. And that's all a result of prayer not being a normal part of your life. It's harder for you to connect with people because prayer is not a normal part of your life. The things that come out of your mouth, you'll trip over your words, you may not understand or know exactly what you're trying to say. It's not as clear because prayer is not a normal part of your life. The things that you say also when you do speak are not as deep or as heavy as you want them to be. You're not getting revelation. You're not feeling the closeness. These are all results of prayer not being a part of your normal everyday life. When we talk about life development, not praying would be the equivalent of just eating junk food and hoping that you turn out okay. 
right? I don't know why I'm getting sick all the time. I don't know why I'm experiencing all these headaches. I don't know why. It, it's because of what we're putting in. It's because of what we're taking in. When we consume his presence, right? And that comes in prayer, sitting before him, crying out to him, praying the word back to him, right? Praying in the spirit, praying together, but praying by ourselves with him. That has to be a part of our lives. You will become more loving, more joyful. It will be easier to obey. You will begin to love authority more. Your gifts and talents and your anointing will shine more brightly. All these will be a result of prayer. <clears throat> Anybody disagree with any of those things? Okay, good. Every time the church faced a crisis, appointed elders, settled disputes, or made an important decision, the church resorted to prayer. This must be true of us as well. My house shall be called a house of Note the following examples and write down the key ideas. We're going to do rapid fire so that we can move through these a little bit. Ms. Necka, would you please take Acts 1.14? Ryan, would you please take Acts 4.31? Caleb, would you please take Acts 6.4? Hayden? Yes. Acts 12.5? Let's see. Hannah, would you take Acts 16.25? And then, uh, let's see, take Acts 20, 36. All right, so begin with Acts 1, 14, as soon as you can. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They gathered constantly together in prayer. Good. Acts 4, 31. All filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke God's message with boldness. Acts 6 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer and the ministry of the word. 12 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer. 16 25. What were they doing in prison? Praying. Praying and singing. Acts 20, 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Beautiful. Let's skip over Matthew 18, 18 through 20, and Matthew 16, 19, because it gives us the points here. I do want to be uh, sensitive to y'all's time, but are y'all okay if it takes us just an extra 10 minutes? Yes. Okay. If anybody does need to leave, that's okay. Uh, but what we see is the uh, following details about corporate prayer. We see when we pray together, there is power in agreement. Amen? Amen? The power of the presence of the Lord in the midst of the church. The power to bind the power of sin and darkness. The power to remove obstacles to the church. When we come together to pray, if we are all together separate in the same room, I think we still are missing something. Can you guys tell that there is power when we come together and begin to pray? Yes. Something different than if we're just individually scattered throughout the room, right? When we come together and pray, it's almost like there's like a bubble around us, right? Like a force field, like a shield around us. 
There's power when we come together. I'm trying to use words to describe the fact that there's power when we come together. Power when we agree on something together. Power to rebuke the darkness. Power to expose anything that needs to be exposed and remove obstacles. To truly learn more about corporate prayer, join us as we do it. We're going to take a couple minutes and we're going to come together right now. So let's all gather here up at the front. Let's just turn our attention towards the Lord. We've been doing a lot of studying, a lot of head knowledge stuff. We just want to give Him thanks. We just want to give Him thanks. Just let your heart lift up towards Him and just give Him thanks. We love you, Jesus. We just thank you, God. You are so good. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are good, Father. You have won the victory. You have paid the price. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, God. You are so good. You are so good, Jesus. You are so good. Come on, don't be afraid. Just tell him that you love him. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for rescuing me, Jesus. Thank you for delivering me, Lord. Thank you, God, for showering your love on us, Jesus. Thank you for pouring out your goodness on us, God. We love you, Jesus. You are so good to us, Father. You are our Lord. Come on, don't be afraid to open up your mouth. Don't be afraid to speak to him. Thank you, Lord. There is power being among your brothers and sisters. He is here with us right now. He is here amongst us right now. I can promise you that. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You have put us on a path, Father. Lord, you are steadying our feet. You are strengthening our hands, God. You are training us for battle, Lord. You have trained us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We give you thanks and praise, Father. We give you thanks and praise, Jesus. Worthy are you, God. Brother Paul, would you pray for us? In Psalm 116, it says, It's precious for us to die. It's precious in your sight, mighty God. And then it goes on to say, After that, after the death is experienced, that we will sacrifice a thank offering to you, God. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you first for the love that you have for us. Hallelujah. And then for us to be able to express that love back to you by giving our lives to you, God. By giving our very breath back to you, Lord. And we do that in our prayers, mighty God. We do that in our speech to others, Lord. Hallelujah. We do that in everything that we say. Lord, we love you, Lord, and we thank you, God. Thank you, we God. We thank you for this breath that you have given us. Hallelujah. And we want to honor you with it, Jesus. Hallelujah. We want to honor you, Lord, in this time now and as we go forward <laughs> with the rest of this night, mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Have a seat. Have a seat.
All right, number five, all things in common, continuing with one mind. This word is homo thumaden. We're going to do some rapid fire scriptures. Mary Lynn, would you take Acts 1.14? Debbie, would you take Acts 2.46? Rich, would you please take Acts 4.24? Matt, would you please take Acts 5.12? Sarah, would you please take Acts 8.6? Christiane, would you please take Acts 15.25? Acts 1.14, whenever you're ready. Oh, Miss Mary Lynn, with the power of God inside you, would you please stand up and read that powerfully? These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplications with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. Amen. Hidden in there is that they were with one mind. That word there is homo to maiden. Acts 2.46, please. Amen. With one accord, that was homo through maiden, Acts 4.24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, The Lord, thou art God, and hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. With one accord, homo through maiden again, Acts 5.12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. All together there is homo through maiden. Acts 8, 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. They all, there was homo through maiden, hidden in there. Acts 15, 25. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas. With one accord. Once again, homo through maiden. Let's experience Homo Thu Maiden right now. On three, we're all going to say hallelujah with power, with boldness, with courage. Ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah! We were of one mind just then. We were of one accord. We were all speaking together, and it was more powerful than one person could do alone. Did you see that? That's Homo Thu Maiden. One of the most outstanding characteristics of the early church was their incredible unity. They literally experienced life as a community together and had all things in common, which sounds very strange to modern believers in Christ. What is even more amazing is that the text goes on to say that they sold their possessions and goods and divided them up among all as anyone had need. Can you imagine actually doing that yourself? Selling, giving away your stuff so that someone else can have what they need. Love for the early church was not a theological concept, but a real, actual way of life. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 35, By this will all men know that they are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The unity which created the environment that made corporate prayer a reality was the practical outworking of the love they had for each other. Instead of wanting something from God, they said, Lord, what can we do for you? How can we bless others? How can we be involved? 
We must recover their lifestyle. Recover implying that it was lost. They demonstrated God's power and glory in their self-sacrificing ways. Their character confirmed their message. Romans 12, 4 through 5 reveals four important points to consider. Let's turn there together. Natalie, would you please read verses 4 through 5? Where? In Romans 12. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Amen. Mr. Mark Milliman, will you please turn to 1 Corinthians 12? We see from Romans 12, 4 through 5, the body of Christ has many members. It is one body, but with many members. Mark, would you please read 1 Corinthians 12, 20? Uh, 12, 20. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Many parts, one body. Second thing, each member is connected to each other. Will you please read verse 13? So how are we connected? Through the Spirit. The third thing, each member depends on the other members. Will you please read verses 21 through 22? The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. Okay. So do I need... Summer to be who God has called her to be. Yes. I am depending on her to do that. Amen. Right? Do I need Tim to be who he was called to be? Yes. Does Tim need Eduardo to be who he was called to be? Yes. That's, a, that's an easy concept for us to ascend to here. But when we truly recognize it here, and I say, I can't be all that I was called to be if Josh compromises. Josh can't be all that he was called to be if Paul compromises. We need each other to pursue God with all of our hearts and with everything inside of us. When we do that, we will all be enriched in every way. As I am filled with the Spirit, it benefits you guys, does it not? When you are filled with the Spirit, it benefits me. And we all are benefiting one another as we pursue the Lord. Amen? That's one mind. When we think like that, it's not just, how am I doing? How's my day going? How's my career going? How's my family doing? But rather, how is the body doing? Do you ask yourself that? How is the body doing? What does the body need? Are there any hurting parts in the body? When we all think like that, we will all be of one mind. The immediate thought might be, well, what if I suffer then? That's... For the Lord to take care of. He will show you 
what needs to happen in your life, and he'll provide for your needs. If you will focus on serving others, the Lord will take care of your needs because then they will help stir. I cannot tell you how many times I've spent my time helping someone else and then others come along to help me do what I needed to do. Have you all experienced that? This is the kingdom at work in those moments. Number six, praising God. Believers followed the pattern of worship they received from the Old Testament, carrying it into the church. Did you hear that? The way that they worshiped, they received from the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, carrying it into the church. This pattern for worship was established by King David and followed for centuries among the righteous remnant throughout Jewish history. Acts 15, 16 through 17 says, After this I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. The tabernacle of David was so important and so special. Why? Uh, so we'll read the following text. Let's rapid fire this. Uh, Aria, would you mind taking 1 Chronicles 15, 28? Kay, would you take 1 Chronicles 16, 4, and then also verses 8 and 9? Uh, let's see here. Sydney, would you take Ephesians 5, 18 through 20? Maya, would you take Colossians 3, 16? And then Dan, would you mind taking Psalm 5, 3, please? Okay, 1 Chronicles 15, 28, whenever you're ready. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the horn, with trumpets, with loud-sounding loud cymbals, with harps and lyres. Loud-sounding cymbals. Not too loud. But loud-sounding cymbals. <laughs> Shouts, ram horns, trumpets, cymbals, lyres, harps. Strike up the band. We're going to praise the Lord. Okay, 1 Chronicles 16. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers. Oh, powerful man of God. Stand up, brother. Read that out loud. Come on. Uh, Hallelujah. Uh, then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And then verses 8 and 9. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell all of his wondrous works. Hallelujah. So the Levites were commanded to extol, thank, and praise the Lord and tell of what he has done. This is all underneath praising God. So we see the use of instruments. We see extol, thank, praise the Lord, tell of what he has done. Ephesians 5. Beautiful. Filled with the Spirit. Speak with psalms, hymns, songs to one another. This is also worship. And we're speaking from our hearts. Colossians 3. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
It's a part of worship also, teaching and admonishing one another. Psalms, hymns, songs, and gratitude. These are all part of worship. Psalm 5. Psalm 5, 3. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Hallelujah. Yes. Vocal praise includes singing. Come on, say that with me. Vocal praise includes singing, shouting. Bodily actions in worship include clapping, standing, lifting hands, kneeling and bowing, playing musical instruments, and dancing. We see all of these in the Word. If we see these in the Word, should we see them in our church? Yes! If we don't see them in our church, something is wrong. If we see them in our church, something is right. All right? In the Psalms, we find the following reasons to praise the Lord. Psalm 22, 23 says, God commands it. Psalm 18, 3 says, He is worthy to be praised. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, It is the ordained way of entering His presence. So we see a reason to praise the Lord is because it is the ordained way of entering His presence. Do you remember, everybody, including the high priest, must enter the courts of the Lord how? With a sacrifice. So to them, that was worship. Now, you remember there were five different offerings, main offerings that were offered, right? The guilt offering, the sin offering, the fellowship offering, the grain offering, and the free will offering. Those are the five different offerings that were made or that someone would bring to the Lord. Two of those offerings were not pleasing smells to the Lord. The sin and the guilt offering, those were not pleasing. But the burnt offering, the free will offering, and the grain offering were all fragrant smells. They were pleasing to the Lord. So someone would bring in a free will offering for no reason. They just wanted to praise the Lord. They would bring in a free will offering, not prompted by anything necessary. Maybe they fulfilled a vow. Maybe they came to the end of a hard seat. They just wanted to praise the Lord. They would bring in a sacrifice of praise. And it would be a pleasing smell to the Lord. But even if you were a high priest, everybody came in to the courts of the Lord with something to sacrifice. That was praise. That was worship. What were they actually doing? They were taking something that was valuable to their family, something that their family needed, something that they had spent much time and energy on, and they were bringing it to the Lord, they were laying it before Him, and it wasn't being budgeted appropriately. It was being burned up and consumed. And we see in that praise, worship. This is the prescribed way to enter in before the Lord. Now, we don't enter in anymore by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of the Lamb into a more perfect place. We get to experience the presence of God right here, right now. We don't have to be born into the right family, be the right guy at the right time of the year. We get to experience Him right now. Amen? Amen. Come on, that's good stuff. 
Psalm 50, 23 says, It is the way believers glorify God. Psalm 40, verse 3 says, It proclaims the goodness of God to others. I've watched visitors come in here, and as we're singing, and they're looking around like, you know, and then they'll look down and they'll look around, and it'll be just taking it all in. We are proclaiming the praise of God to all who hear. Yes. <laughs> that is true. Psalm 22, 3 and Psalm 16, 11 says, It releases the power of His presence. Amen. Psalm 115, verse 8 says, It transforms the worshiper. Have you ever left worship and praise feeling transformed? Number seven, evangelism, those who are being saved. This is our last one. The mission of the church is to win the world to Jesus. Come on. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's that centrifugal picture, right? It starts here in the middle. You see it spinning out, spinning out like this. That's that Fibonacci sequence. That's that golden ratio. That's what we see right there. It's the prescription from the beginning, right? You knew that. You didn't remember that? Love that. I love that. I love, love, love that. That's Acts 1.8. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> Veronica likes that one. <laughs> Billy Graham used to practice preaching to trees. Did y'all know that? True story. The New Testament church was a living, growing organism with evangelism at the core of its ongoing witness. It reproduced daily. The life of God flowed through believers, making them fruitful. Look up and write the main idea of the following scriptures. The Great Commission cannot be ignored. Without reproduction, a church becomes sluggish, loses vision, loses heart, and passes away within two generations, often sooner. Tell someone the good news about Jesus as if you were in the first century. Think about it. So I wrote this down on purpose. Tell someone the good news about Jesus as if you were in the first century. If you were in the first century and you heard or saw that Jesus had risen from the dead, how would you speak about it? Change your mindset because now the way that we think about sharing Jesus is different. But I want you to imagine that you just heard that Jesus had risen from the dead. And I want you to share the good news about Jesus with someone from that perspective. 
What might that look like? And then, tell them about your church family. Brother, sister, I have got a family I want to tell you about. We love each other. We are connected. We break bread together. That's your homework. And then the last one, the last piece of it. Find four verses in the Old Testament that reflect evangelism. You can help each other. Discipleship Helps is a creation of the One Association of Churches. To find out more about the One Association, you can visit one-association.org.